Hello, I'm Brian Foster, and I'm talking about Spiritism. And today we're going through part two of chapter nine, the harvest of jealousy. Before I begin, let's start with a prayer. Dear Jesus and spirits all around us, please help the leaders of our government and of organizations and of companies become more wise and benevolent and charitable and fraternal. Please help them understand that people need to be nurtured and that freedom of speech and thought is all important so we can all begin to learn and become disciplined through our own manners, through helping our own character and personality. Amen. Now, Through the Mist is a great book, and I have the link to it in its PDF form in the description below. I recommend that. You can also find out more information about Spiritism on nwspiritism.com. Now, the spirit who wrote this, who wanted to be re, remain anonymous, but people did call him Fred, so I'll call him Fred, wasn't a spiritist per se. He's very religious, but he went to he went to heaven, and he came, and he wanted to tell people what he saw in heaven. And what he saw in heaven is there's nothing that contradicts any spiritist doctrine. I mean, there's little things that I can... I, I add more as I read through that I add more background for. So if you want to understand spiritism, I recommend you read the spirits book codified by Allan Kardec in the 1850s. He wrote a series of 1,019 questions to spirits and he gave them to multiple mediums. So he didn't just channel one spirit. This is where sometimes we're spiritualists channel one spirit and that spirit may not know everything. So this one was organized by the spirit of truth as promised by Jesus Christ in the new testament if you want to get an overview of spiritism i would suggest you read my free pdf book spiritism 101 the third revelation the first revelation was moses the second was jesus and the third is alan kardec codifying the spirits book you can download that for free in pdf format on nwspiritism.com it's also in paperback kindle and audible format i also have the spirits book in audible format in a couple places one is my blog where you can download it in audible format or in mp3 or in youtube look at the playlist on my youtube channel called the spirits book and you can look at you can hear kind of an audible book format hear every chapter on youtube now let's start the book so the book we're on chapter nine it's just and again, I just want to say it is a, a wonderful book. I cannot, I cannot uh, express enough how just, you know, there's something so exciting about reading spiritist books and books about spirits. And, and you can read, you can tell when something is true or not after you've read enough of the spiritist literature and understand what is, um, what is really there in the other side, the other side of the veil, as they say. So now let's catch up real quick. So the spirit, I'll call Fred, died when he's trying to rescue a little boy, and he was like a, in the middle of a uh, very busy street. And this was dark at the end of the 19th century, so it was horse and carriages mostly in London. He and the boy woke up on a grassy knoll in heaven. Of course, this has all been his his couple days in heaven, and now he's he has been at this. He's in like in the sanitarium, but he was taken. And showing more things. So now he was taken to a, a woman spirit's Marie. And she has had some extremely 
difficult uh, episodes, not only in her life in the physical world, but in her life in the lower zone. Now, the lower zone is that which starts at the crust of the earth, and it goes to the lower levels of heaven. And, of course, below that is the dark abyss. The dark abyss is like a purgatory. Actually, so is the lower zone. No one is ever there forever. There's no eternal damnation. It's all until you can change your character and ask for help from Jesus. So she, they kind of walked to this place. It was kind of, it was kind of uh, guarded off by tall trees and bushes. So, and you had to know where you're walking to get to any, and she wasn't at a higher level of heaven. She was probably somewhere kind of almost in the lower zone. So they wanted to protect her against any spirits that would be a bit inferior. And so, and so Fred saw this woman and he could tell, and she was walking with another woman and he saw her and he just knew that she was a, as he said, uh, a wounded, poor, crushed soul. And there, and all these spirits, the one spirit, it was the, the nurse, right, was helping her. And of course, she was more than a nurse, she was a high, higher woman spirit. And now she, he was with Krishna. So Krishna went to, um, to talk to Marie, and then he went to talk to the woman that the high spirit that he was she was trying to help Marie. So let me start right there. I'm anxious to see the view which Kushna tells me may be had from the bottom of the grounds. I remarked presently. Yes, you must see that. She replied. It's just like that dear old Doctor Grandpa to find this place for Marie. So <laughs> that's funny. He's called Doctor Grandpa because I don't think he has much of appearance of a grandfather. I said, and this is Fred talking. Through every inch of him is a doctor, yet there was something about him in spite of his useful visage, which told me that the dual epithet was the most comprehensive and correct one, which could be applied to him. He had been an unsolved enigma from the beginning when I first met him, and the idea of obtaining a further insight into the character, which had so perplexed me, was a very welcome one. No, she responded. He scarcely looks old enough, does he? But that is by no means due to his lack of years. It must be rather ascribed to the eternal youth we enjoy, meaning the eternal youth uh, as a spirit, right? Because in, in the spirit world, thought is action. So when you die and you go to the other side and you're in one of the levels of heaven, you look as you want to look. If you want, if you're dying when you're 80, you want to look like you're 32, you look like you're 32 or 22, whatever, whatever you want. I'll carry on with what she said. When he came into this life, he was both a grandpa and a doctor, and though he has grown so very youthful in his form and bearing, we are compelled to give him his double continuum, or we should only refer to half of what he is now. Has he been here long? Yes, he's lived. he lived in the early days of Egypt. I think it was prior to the building of the pyramids. That is a long time ago. And does he remember earth life? And she says, I do not think he has forgotten a single incident, either in his earth or present life, if it will give himself a moment to recall it. One of the things which makes him a grandpa still is the delight he finds in gathering a number of us together and recounting episodes from his own experience for our instruction and amusement. He is, I think, the most unselfish man I ever met, having no thought for himself, but only existing to augment the happiness of everyone with whom he comes in contact with. 
always planning new pleasures and surprises. When he introduces them, he does it in a kind of apologetic tone, as though he committed some offense and was about to ask for pardon. Now, she's describing a very high, wonderful spirit. This is what we wish to become someday. I mean, this, this is, should be our uh, goal in life is to become like this. Let me carry on. When he sees the additional happiness invariably resulting from his labors, he himself is quite happy first in sympathy with those he has made so glad, and then again that he has been the means of such enjoyment. Why now? Let me tell you how it is that Marie is here. He met her first on the other side of the mist. Has he told you? Yes, he told me how and where he met her. Then the 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 lady spirit says, but he has not told you how long and difficult was his work before he could induce her to listen to him. Of the conflict he had with malignant spirits who delighted in her torture and tried to frustrate all his endeavors. And you, you know nothing of his many failures to make her come away from such horrible surroundings. If only for a space to prove that no one but herself stood in the way of her peace, since the legitimate penalty of her sin had been paid. So, it may seem strange to say he tried to he, she didn't even didn't even see him right so this happens in the spirit world if, if you're a spirit in the lower zone and you only look at the lower spirits around you and your your mind is in that lower groove a higher spirit can come and you cannot see them in fact that happens to quite a few of people who are in the physical life as they pass over uh, in fact, there is this one story recounted in one of the uh, spirits talking to the Reverend G. of uh, Owen. And this man had, like, walking through the the heavenly territory, and he was looking around, and he, um, he met a spirit. Now, there was someone behind the man, but the, the man didn't see him. And he, the man told him, the spirit behind the man said, okay, this is what's going on with this guy. He just came over. And he said, can I help you? He goes, yeah. He goes, this is a wonderful land. I I, uh, I think I'm dead, but I always thought that, you know, all your friends come and, and your family come and meet you when you pass over. And he says, well, they, they have tried, but you have not, you have not seen them because you've not elevated yourself. Because I was expecting at least to meet my wife. Well, he said, your wife tried, but again, now you may think that your wife, you know, wasn't as intellectually smart as you, but she had the capacity for love. So she exists at a higher level than you. And you're going to have to change your attitude and character and not think in black and white all the time. And think, think of in love and wisdom and know that what you've thought before about heaven and who is here is not totally correct. You have a lot to learn. And in fact, you're here because you have been a kind person, but you've also been a very aloof and strict person. And that kind of kept you back, but the good outweighed the bad. So you have a lot to learn. And then the spirit came up and held his hand. And they, then the, the man who just passed over kind of felt this change. 
And then this other spirit came and touched him. And he says, oh, I don't see. He says, just wait. And then he, he could feel it. And then he could feel. Then all of a sudden, the veil came from his eyes. And he could see his old friend there that he's been following him as he's been kind of wandering through the lower levels of heaven. And so that, I mean, that happens because it's all about the state of your mind. This is why when you're on earth, the best time, and this is, the earth is made, the physical existence is made to change your character and your attitude, to become a loving person, just like Kushna. So this is why it's so important to do this here. And we're doing it in really hard circumstances, right? There's people that are that betray you and are mean to you and difficult family members. And there's there's all sorts of reasons to get mad at it. Lots of people. Faceless bureaucrats, faceless government, governments with stupid rules, the car that won't start. Ah, there's plenty of reasons. But that's what you have to fight. You have to say, no, this is just part of life. Don't get upset about it. This person that did me wrong is just an actor in a play. And that was supposed to teach me something that I probably did wrong to someone else in a previous life. Okay, let me continue on. Okay, where are Okay, no one but himself knows the extent of this. No one, no one ever will, for is buried with a thousand similar secrets in the oblivion of his own breast, never to be willingly recalled or thought of again. I have heard something of this from Marie, but poor child, her memory of that period is happily overcast. Though she has told me enough to show the struggle was a fierce one, and the reward of it will, by and by, not the, by not, be not the least of the bright jewels which will sparkle in his diadem. Oh, so let me, again. So she was like tortured and, and harmed and all of that in this, in this, the lower zone? And the answer is yes, they're mean in the lower zone. They're not even meaner in the dark abyss, that area below the crust of the earth. This is kind of something Dante's Infernal had its source and inspiration from the spirit world. It's not a pleasant place. Now, you're not, again, I said you're not there forever, but you will exist in where in because you were put there by the law of affinity. Like goes to like. And if you think you're evil and you're wrong, you'll be with people who are evil and wrong. So it's not a good place. When at length he accomplished his object, he gained permission to carry her to his own home, where he could watch her as she slept through the prostration that succeeded her suffering. And while she slept, he could secretly, scarcely be persuaded to leave her side lest even in her sleep she should feel his absence and be lonely. Such devotion had its reward, and was powerful in removing much of her weight of trouble. His determination to make her happy won her confidence first, then her love, and finally was the means of enabling him to be the minister of her salvation. It is very pathetic to hear Marie speak of her waking and Kushna's tender but compulsory announcement that he would take her to her own home where she would be better for a time than even where she was. She was full of fear that if he left, she would be drawn back to the agony of the past and pleaded long and tearfully to be allowed to stay. That could not be, and so he did the next best thing. Knowing she must be located here for a time, he searched the district till he found this house, which affords from the, this point the view of what she spoke. This lovely val valley is an incessant theme of admiration for her, 
and on the hillside in the far away, yet distinctly visible in the glory light which plays upon it, stands Kusna's house, her other home, as she always calls it. And she delights to stand there talking of him and watching for his coming, as he generally does straight across. The beautiful panorama rolled before me. The circumstances were we were discussing in the close proximity of the two of the chief actors in the thrilling drama filled me too full for speech. I could only contemplate how each succeeding incident in my career bore ever stronger testimony to that law of love, which is the mainspring of this life. At the time Krishna called us, she continued after a moment's pause, we were looking at his home, which Marie considers the central feature of the landscape, and she was wondering... How long do you intend to keep her waiting? We turned to find Kushnad stolen upon us unobserved. How much of our conversation he had heard, we had no idea. But his next sentence told us he well knew what its drift had been. Azina, he said, I am sadly afraid you are a little, little tattletale, and I shall be compelled to administer some correction to you. You are a good dear old grandpa and deserve to be kissed for listening. There, there, she cried as he threw her arms around him and saluted him on either cheek see everyone loves each other the, the the spirit world it's love it's everyone loves each other this is where you're going to go this is why the price to be paid for being a good person on earth even if you like don't make as much money you don't have that yacht you don't have the best car your house is small your bank account's even smaller it's it, it, you're going to be in this wonderful place and you're going to be there in eternity and you'll never get you'll never get rid of being that of that goodness. You won't slide back in, into into depravity, so so to speak. You'll you'll keep you know you may not uh, advance as fast as you want, but you you won't slide back. You you won't regress like that. You might make mistakes, but they won't be major. Oh, these children, he replied as he shook his head at her in mock gravity. And then turning to me, he said, I think you'd better go and keep Marie company while I give this child a scolding. Why, you dear old darling, you would not know how to begin if you tried, were the last words I heard as I turned away. I was glad to be able to hear Marie's story from her own lips. But as I neared her and saw her face darkened by the shadow of some approaching agony, so changed from his brightness as he greeted Kushna, I would have gladly forgotten the recital if, by that means, I could have witnessed a return of her former happiness. But again, I was impelled by that mysterious influence which operates to carry us over the points of difficulty and uncertainty, always in the right direction, even though opposed to inclination and understanding for the time being. In spite of the consequences, I knew it was best to go forward and leave to Krishna's future explanation whatever might transpire of an incomprehensible nature. I had already learned so much of the development of blessings for the most apparent improbabilities as to feel confident that all things work together for good and begin to watch for the manifestation of all kinds of surprises in every new feature of the life as it was presented to me. So he's already feeling confident in all things working together for the good. And you could say, well, he said that on heaven. But it actually works here on the physical earth, too. We don't see it that way. It's tough for us to see it that way because we go through hard trials. Things happen to us or to our loved ones, to the society around us. But everything that happens to us, and this is important to understand and put deep into your heart, 
is an edifying experience made to help you improve your character and your personality. At the time, it could seem like someone's punishing you, right? It's like you take your four-year-old because they wrote on the wall or did something and you put them in the corner, made them face the corner and they cry and they tell you what a horrible parent you are, right? And it was like the worst thing ever to happen to them that they were punished in their mind for writing on the wall. But do you want your child to go to the friend's house and start writing on the wall or write on all your walls? Well, I think the answer is no. Do you want us humans here when we, to, you know, to be in the lower level and to, and to never ascend and to never really use the potential of our mind to create, to help guide whole races and cultures and animals and planets? No. So it's all for edifying purpose. And, um, and as spirits say, sometimes pain is the great teacher. Sometimes you need that to analyze yourself and your moral foundation to make basic changes. And hopefully, as the more you study spiritism, you'll voluntarily start looking at yourself and analyzing yourself and making basic changes, rewiring this brain for the better. No bad gossip. Stop. Don't just stop saying bad things. Stop thinking bad things. And when you do, catch yourself. It's it's decades-long process. Decades. I'm still not where I want to be. Not, not close. I've been doing this for decades. But it's, it's making me a happier, stress, less stressed person. Not stress-free, but better. Okay. As Marie came towards me, I was conscious of the efforts exerted to overcome the premonition which so visibly enveloped her. And in the unsuccessful attempt, she made to greet me with a smile, which died in its birth throb. But I knew that my own face only too faithfully represented my feelings at the moment. So our interview commenced with a greeting, signally ominous of its tragic termination. Krishna had made all the necessary explanations as to the object of my visit. And so, with very pr few preliminaries, Marie proceeded to give me her experiences as follows. Okay, so this is Marie's life story. I am an American, the only child of a Southern millionaire idolized by my parents and pampered and proud and willful from infancy. When I wished for anything, I only had to speak and it was mine. My education, both by practice and by precept, taught me that money was almighty and as its supply to us was practically unlimited, I grew up with the idea that I was to be obeyed and no wish I cherished or expressed could ever be thwarted. Now, I've seen this in other other spiritist writings where uh, a daughter or son is, is, is completely spoiled. This is the worst thing you can do. You have, they want you, you have to be taught discipline. They should work for their money. They should know that money is a resource. They should also know that they need to be humble and nice to other people. Teaching them anything else could happen, happen to them. Okay, I'll carry on. Of course, this tended to make me very exacting, even overbearing, but I was by no means cruel or wicked as the world would judge. Having the money, I had a right to all the pleasure it would bring, and if my enjoyment was unfortunately the cause of pain to another, I was not to be blamed for that. It was their misfortune, and they had no right to expect me to forego my desire out of consideration to their feelings. 
That was my philosophy, and I acted upon it. There, don't let your child be like this. Now, sometimes it happens, and they're willful, but try. We were church people. My father, always liberally contributing to the various agencies, promoted therefrom. Punctilious in our attendance at the services, my name being duly enrolled as a member upon reaching the appointed age. Whenever I felt inclined or desired an excuse for breaking an irksome engagement, I would take a class in the Sunday school or find it necessary to pay a charitable visit. It was not often, I allow, but as I looked upon it as an act of condensation upon my part to do such work at all, it was not to be expected that I should be anything like regular in my attention to those duties. There was never but one girl I could really call my friend. That was Sadie Norton. Our social position was fairly equal, but I, being a trifle the older of the two, could rightfully, rightfully assume the premier place. Then Sadie was not exactly the girl to command or lead, so I was in no way interfered with in my assumption of leadership, and for that reason our companionship became a very close one. A friendly rival existing between our parents was to some extent reflected by us, but without lessening the sisterly feeling, which had been engendered and rather strengthened than otherwise with years. We were always together. No festival, sociable at home, or surprise party was considered complete unless we were present. Upon every scheme put forward at the church, we were consulted. Every philanthropic object sought our patronage, and therefore we were out of our teens. Every eligible fellow in the town and country was angling to catch us. The latter fact opened an avenue for a great increase of our fun. Not that we thought of marrying for a moment, but we seriously interfered with many others who did, and for a year or two were perfectly enraptured at the number of matches we were enabled to break off. <laughs> Presently, a fine young fellow came along, bringing very satisfactory credentials to my father and others, and all the girls in the town set their caps at him. Sadie and myself determined to go for him as well, and by playing him alternatively, keeping him from anyone else, as well as give him a teasing but he took matters in the most awfully serious light, and before a month had passed, he made me a formal proposal. I must confess that I felt very serious about the matter, would not have accepted him if that would not have ended the romance we determined to enjoy. So I laughed at him, and when he enlisted my mother's aid, I stood on my dignity and very cavalierly told him that I was not of the marrying kind. He went away looking very crestfallen, but I laughed. My experience of men has not been a long one, but I knew his cloud would only last till sunrise. Every man enters upon the April season of his life when he falls in love. In the way he is treated and trained by the woman he woos, at such a time as much to do with the formation of his permanent character, so I thought, and therefore determined to give him such a schooling as would bring him out the hero into whose keeping I would entrust myself so far as I deemed prudent. I made a mistake. The moral came, but brought no Charlie. I was piqued. He was trying for the mastery, but he would find his match. A week passed, and I did not see him. Neither did Sadie, for I had prepared her in case she should try the effect of flirtation. A month went by without a sign of him. Circumstances also prevented me seeing much of my friend. Then we met. It was at Sadie's birthday party, and the first thing she told me that Charlie had proposed. My face lighted with the anticipation of the fun we should have presently. She continued that she had had accepted him. The blood rushed back to my heart. I stood speechless as a statue. 
In a moment, my blood boiled and dashed through my veins and cataracts of maddened fury. Jealousy and disappointment love devoured me. My brain reeled under the strain. I fell and remembered no more. And she was so mad she fainted. She'd never been thwarted before. The day they were married, I was swinging in the balances of life and death from brain fever, although my delirium, their names were seldom off my tongue, pleading, entreating, or cursing them as the frenzy impelled me. But after my reason returned, I had strength of mind never to mention them again. The magic potency of wealth was pressed in the service, and in every conceivable form to wean my thoughts from my sorrow, and so skillfully did I play the part I had arranged in the early days of convalescence that everyone was presently congratulating themselves on matters not really being so serious as was at first imagined. The little dream, my composer was but a mask, and that in which my soul was plotting and planning how best to obtain the revenge which I would either secure or die in the attempt. So here's a woman who's been spoiled. She's not evil or bad. She's spoiled and petty, um, but in her own mind, she has committed great sin. This is so, and so we'll see what she does. But this, this is tough. This, this is like a lot of self-centered people in the world. It, I've been the same. Sadie had been false. Had taken advantage of her temporary in estrangement to carry her base designs to success and she has succeeded with fatal effect. She had deceived Charlie as wickedly as she, she had injured me, for it was impossible she could be the wife I should have made him. He was not so much to be blamed, since she had been made the tool of her cunning duplicity, but she should feel the weight of my vengeance. I would find them if I had to travel the world in my quest. I would return her perfidy fourfold, and would take him from her even if I died in the hour of my triumph. For five years, I continued my secret but unsuccessful inquiries, but I never for one moment faltered or forgot my vow. Well, she was like obsessed on this. So perfectly did I hide my jealousy that my acquaintances be began to think I was really happy again. How little we know of the man, while we rapturously applaud the actor. The stage and the home have not infrequently a gulf between them quite as impassable as the division between Devis and Lazarius, and we poor, simpering mortals laugh at the memorized lines. But we have no eyes or ears for the lifeblood which gurgles from the heart meanwhile. I was deaf and blind to everything but the one object of my life. They thought me happy. Why, there is nothing on in earth or in heaven can make me so, but the man I had lost, and who had been stolen from me by the base ingratitude of my seeming friend. So, this is where... If she had understand, understood spiritism, she would have she would have found out that what probably happened in a past life that she had done something to warrant what happened to her. That she had stolen someone from someone, or she had or she had, you know, acted in the same way. And now it happened to her and she can't let go of it. Instead of she should have said, Yes, that's you know, that's Charlie's free will and that's sadie's free will god bless them i hope them well and if she would have recognized that she's on earth just for a short existence not a long while you know not forever not at all but if she would have recognized that she would have seen that this was a, a trial an episode she had to go through and she would have analyzed her character and said why am i obsessing over this i need to let them go and love them 
I carry on. Accident discovered his whereabouts, a small paragraph in an old newspaper from which I was cutting a pattern. I saw his name, learned all that was necessary, and at once began to formulate a plan for reaching him. Life from that moment assumed something of a hopeful hue, but my excitement very nearly ruined everything. I would to God be that had it done so. Having found him, it was easy to go to him, since an old college friend was living in the same place and arranged to pay her a visit was only a matter of a few days. My next step was more difficult, as everything depended upon our first interview. One rash or false move, and all would be lost. But even here, fortune, or as I now know it, misfortune, favored me. I met him accidentally and alone. He recognized me and spoke before I was aware of his presence. I saw his agitation, knew his old love was not dead. By an, but by an almost superhuman effort, I preserved a seemingly indifferent calmness, even when I asked after his wife. I read volumes in his reply. He had discovered his mistake, was not happy, and the assurance of it made me frantic with delight. He was mine. I knew it. If I only acted with caution, kept my hand concealed, and waited for an appropriate opportunity. We met several times after the same fashion, but never once visited me or invited me to his house. Presently, he asked me to keep a clandestine appointment. I refused. He urged it for the sake of all legs I. Finally, I consented. I was lost, but that was the price. I had calculated to pay if I could win him, and I had done it. In less than a month, his wife and children was deserted, and we were flying east. So, she seduced him, or I didn't need that much help. But I will stop here because I don't want to go too far, and I will finish this next Tuesday. So the I think the moral of this story is to let it go, let these things go. Uh, it's just amazing that um, that this uh, is just a typical story of how people feel terrible in the spirit world when they. They take revenge. They they want something. And it's, she didn't really know Charlie, so she spent a little while. I mean, they could be miserable together. Maybe we'll find that out in uh, next week's talk. But again, they'll all get back together again in the spirit world. And this is why you don't you don't do the things like this because then Sadie could could say, "Oh, I want revenge on her," and then the whole thing would play again. And this is why we need to forgive, as Jesus said, for us to forgive 70 times 70. And he didn't mean it just to forgive here on earth in the present, in your present life. He meant it as a warning for those who do each other's wrong. When those people who can't forgive and they just have hate and revenge in their mind. And what happens is they, when they die, then they want to go over and obsess and get revenge on the physical person if they're still living. Or sometimes they'll get revenge on that physical person in their next life and cause them to be schizophrenic or manic depressive or any, or have you know, visions. They'll try to obsess that poor person. That is why we have to be very careful of how we process the trials and tribulations that happen to us here on earth. And I think to give you an understanding of who you are, where you are, what stage of life you are, I would read the spirit realm. It tells you what the spirit realm is, this logical concept of the universe the physical realm 
what you are as a spirit, who God is, who Jesus is, what's planned for you. And I think it would, it would reveal a lot. And then to learn how to behave better on earth, to really improve yourself, I recommend my book, How to Live in a Peace Through Spirits. And the spirit under Luis takes us through, uh, I think it's like 24 steps of how you start improving yourself. And it's like one builds after another. And I take each step and I explain it and what I, how I think it meant. And then I, I explain from other spiritist writings, how do you achieve that step? And, and I believe that that really, the more you understand and you look at yourself from the 10,000 foot level, the, the less stress you have, the less anxiety, the more understanding, the more calm and reasonable and a good person that you can be. So I want to say, tell everybody, thanks for being with me tonight. God bless.